We live at a time when man believes himself fabulously capable of creation, but he does not know what to create. Lord of all things, he is not Lord of himself. He feels lost amid his own abundance. With more means at its disposal, more knowledge, more technique than ever, it turns out that the world today goes the same way as the worst of worlds that have been. It simply drifts. Nat, we're back at Made You Think. We are back. And this is the first episode that we're recording in 2018, Yep, which is very exciting. And we also have some more exciting news. We have a third co-host <laughs> uh, third on the co-host show. Today. Yeah. So this is my uh, nine-week-old puppy, Pepper. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll post a link to a photo of her in the show notes. She's super cute. So we're, we're going to... She's so small. Yeah, she's a little, little Pouchon, half poodle, half Bichon Frise. So she's being mostly good. Yeah. If she interrupts us at all, we'll, we'll try to edit it out. But if you hear the occasional treat drop or little bark, then please don't hold it against us. We're, we're doing our best. Yeah. So... Today, we're talking about The Revolt of the Masses by Jose Ortega y Gasset. Yeah, and I think uh, you recommended this book to me. Um, I forget what the context was or if it was on one of the episodes or something. But it came up in Sovereign Individual, I want to say. Yeah, it has. A, there was actually, so I saw Sovereign Individual kind of similarities here. And then yeah. I also saw Finite and Infinite Games similarities here. Yeah. Because he, he did even talk about horizontal thinking at right. one of the essays in, well, the chat, in this book. Well, and it's chat. kind of one of the things he talks about of the every man versus like, you know, the term. He uses a few terms for it, but sort of like the... The mass man. Yeah, well, the mass man versus the elite. The, the, he says the noble. Yeah, the, the noble. Yeah. Like it, it's we have different connotations with those words. That's but, the that's one yeah. of the problems with I think the terminology he right. uses is that his terminology comes off as very elitist sounding, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it is a little elitist. Yeah. But he doesn't really mean like elite as in he's elitist in the Talevian sense. And Talev, now he just turned your last name into a, a verb. So <laughs> in the, or a, adjective, Talevian, Talevian. Yeah, yeah, I think it's adjective. adjective. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a writer, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Telebian sense the word where he when he says noble, he doesn't mean like the noble who's born noble. Yeah. He means like noble in people who've sort of earned their like kind of in the entrepreneurial sense almost. Yeah, uh, it does feel very entrepreneurial, like the kind of people who listen to made you think, yeah. right? Like deeper thinkers. Making a lot of assumptions about our audience. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's i mean one of the main distinctions is sort of the man who is thinking and we're saying man we mean human right yes. the human who's yeah. thinking about improving themselves yeah. right and who's thinking beyond just like the constraints of their environment yeah. and who thinks it's almost like really infinite player versus on. finite player it is yeah it's very infinite player similarities like somebody who thinks beyond just especially the level of what they deserve and yeah. their work in their life. It's like somebody who wants to work and be rewarded for it and have, you know, fair distribution. And the, the masses really that he's talking about feels like a very almost kind of like socialist state style or spoiled child, which spoiled is the child. word he, yeah. the phrase he uses a lot. <laughs> he's got um, some really brutal analogies in here. Yeah. But I mean, the way he breaks it down. So like, um, actually, before we get into that, this book is kind of organized as like a series of essays and they're related, but they're not like they don't necessarily flow in like a narrative. You know, one needs to precede the other. You could read them independently. Yeah. And this episode will probably flow in that very weavy, semi-random style that we've done with a few of these essay style Isn't books. Isn't that all of them? It's all, well, <laughs> some of them do have some yeah. order, right? This yeah. is like mastery where it's just boom, 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 <laughs> boom. This is what you do. And then there's ones like this or uh, what's an anti-fragile is a good example. Yeah. Right. Where there's really no order there it's just like five different These topics yeah basically. meta essays and then uh, weaves in and out and the other thing too is uh you know i think 
he wrote this in, it looks like it was published in 1930. So it was pre-World War II, which obviously shaped the world a lot. It was pre-Cold War, pre-sort of the rise of Islamic terrorism, like all these sorts of things that have happened since 1930. Yeah. So he definitely got some things wrong in this. Yeah. Like he didn't, he did not really expect the U.S. to be a superpower. Yeah, that was true. the biggest He kind of shits on the U.S. In the yeah, book. well, I mean, and to be fair, at the time when he wrote it, the U.S. was in the Great Depression the U.S. was a completely isolationist country, had never, like, very reluctantly got involved in World War One. Yeah. Then there was a huge backlash against that. So the way things were going, it was not looking like we would be a globally involved country. Yeah. <laughs> like, he kept saying we're very strong economically, which we were at the time. Or, like, we had the seeds to be great, I think is the phrase he used, which was, you know, kind of foreseeable because we had a lot of natural resources and... And you know, form a government big, and everything. And a, yeah, and a big country, like, land-wise, too, without invaders next to us. And we um, should mention, uh, for context, that Ortega, you guys say, was Spanish. Yes, yeah. So he was living in Spain at the time, yep. and this book was originally written in Spanish. Yeah, and actually, you so. could tell with some of the areas where they've been translated, maybe not quite as smoothly as the original Spanish would have been. Uh, well, and that's yeah. kind of the interesting thing. Like, this is a big tangent, but... I love it. I know, right? <laughs> that I love with, especially some of the older Romance languages, right? Like, Spanish and French. They just have so many fewer words for yeah. things, right? And English is such a massive combination of other languages, right? Where you can take five different words in English and there might be, you know, one word for it in Spanish. Right. But then when you're using that one word in Spanish, right, which word in English do you translate it right. to? Exactly. And, that, and it's different based on the context. Exactly. You have to like read into the context. This was something that my aunt is actually a court, uh, and I have to be really careful about this. She's a court interpreter. Okay. So, oh, so if somebody doesn't speak, if somebody doesn't speak English, English, she's, you know, fluent Spanish and she'll go in and speak kind of on their behalf. Oh, but what she really highlights is that she's an interpreter in that she can listen to them and then interpret it into the best argument based on what they are saying in Spanish. Got it. Whereas if you just get a translator, a translator will basically just try to one for one what you say. And they're like really different art forms, yeah. right? Because you could really, you know, misconstrue the context. Oh, yes, definitely. Right. Like, especially just with, you know, cultural differences and stuff and what might seem like a normally socially acceptable thing to say in one culture not being not. acceptable in another, right? Right. Exactly. I think like yep. the perfect or an example that I always love is like it's kind of common in a lot of Spanish speaking countries to just refer to people by physical traits. Right. And it's totally yeah. acceptable. Yeah. So you can call someone like, the like fat one. Yeah, you can the, say like, hey fatty, right? Yeah. And that's like not a bad thing. No. It's like, oh ha ha, ha right? That's, that's your name. But you, you, you do that in America. Just like, straight up does not translate. Oh yeah, it's just not gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway or even by race too i've noticed or like by skin color or like whatever like you just you don't do that in american english at least yeah it's uh, like really frowned upon culturally yeah. here right <laughs> and so that, that's the funny thing with reading books that have been translated sometimes is that something in there will be like whoa that's not okay <laughs> but then you realize like well it probably is okay yeah, right there's no right. reason that my culture is right and there's wrong right, right? That's exactly silly. it's just culturally different it's culturally different yeah it's like that's the, a really good point yeah <laughs> so that's that's always the interesting thing reading I, I think, these translated books i think because he's spanish that's part of the reason he's very Eurocentric and probably was just not as familiar with the U.S. in general. Right. Besides the fact that it would have been really hard to predict where we are from 1930. Yeah. But despite all of that, a lot of the things he's talking about, we see mirrored today. Oh, yeah. It, it actually, to a bigger extent. All, yeah. You know, not almost. Definitely. To be fair, I don't know what was going on That's in Spain true. in 1930. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely. But he even does talk about right. like. You know, like some inklings of like uh, the sort of ingratitude for the society we have, right. uh, some of the social justice warrior type of stuff, the need to sort of lash out against 
everything basically yeah, against elites you know <laughs> yeah. the sort of have-nots versus the haves yeah it's kind although of an eternal struggle although i guess the socialism movement was going on pretty strongly at that time part of it yeah is that there was that kind of uprising towards you know some form of socialism i guess he wouldn't have called it socialism yet right i guess he called uh well, he when, said the when, russians had um well communism right yeah at that point uh, it would have been yeah because that was 1918 1917 when the when russian was, revolution was when did marx publish i think that was the 1800s 1800s yeah okay. so but then but he was you know german and it took a while for all of it to seep into different countries yeah but i know he does talk about here he was like uh you know europeans were worried about russian communism spreading not from a military standpoint but mm-hmm. from a like ideology standpoint social uprising yeah, yeah. and he, he called out russia pretty strongly um Where uh, that? i forget which exact chapter but he called him out saying it's not really socialism or communism that they have it's this sort of russian like he said it's a more of a russian specific oh. political system based on their own history like he's like it's way more violent than socialism or communism would be although that's arguable because china had a, their own version of it i was gonna say was china's pretty violent, was pretty violent. <laughs> yeah. although to be fair a lot of that just it wasn't like even violence it was just neglect yes right? like was kind of like what we talked about in emergency was it emergency where yeah, we were the comparing the different versus, yeah the whole nazi versus communism yeah holocaust yeah. versus great leap forward right dude i was in a coffee shop yesterday mm-hmm. this is in new york okay and uh in the bathroom there were all these stickers on the door that were socialists of new york city dude it's they weird were, like, all over i mean the stickers yeah. were i don't know about how many people there actually were could have all been one person just putting stickers everywhere but yeah <laughs> yeah like they have like a website and like I think it's like socialist.nyc or something like that. Oh my god, that's not an ad. That is the <laughs> yeah, that is an anti ad. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, I've heard Jordan Peterson make this point a few times that if you were on a school campus and you were waving, you know, a Nazi flag, right? Like that would really not be okay. No. Not but if you're all. waving a hammer and sickle flag, right? People are like, oh, that's they support cool socialism. That's cool like, counterculture, right? It's like that killed way more people. Yeah. Right. But yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll get off our high horse about socialism yeah. and communism. It's all, I don't know if it's how just human. Yeah, we will in a second. After one more tangent, um, yeah. it's how like I don't know if it's how human brains are organized, but it's like we take fraud and like direct violence, essentially, or direct misleading mm-hmm. kind of things, way more seriously than like crimes of omission or crimes of neglect. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas those are equal, like if the results are equally if not worse than something like direct like nazism so people would when they look at nazism might be like well they killed directly you know these numbers of millions of people right and then communism is like 10 times that number but it's like their it intentions were right yeah their intentions they were, were trying their heart to was help. in the right place and like be that as it may their heart's <laughs> in the right place but then it goes this horribly wrong yeah i don't know but yeah well it's like it's I, like that's more forgivable in the minds of people it seems yeah well it, and it's weird why or it's weird how we will sometimes let those beliefs slide and kind of laugh them off right versus be like whoa that's totally not okay like if somebody was ardent in their belief so okay this is the argument you always hear with communism and socialism it's mm-hmm. like well if better people were the ones running the system yeah it would have worked right and it's like uh, no not a, like that's just how human beings exactly. are um whereas for nazism if somebody said that well if i was uh running nazi germany instead of hitler like it would have gotten so much better like you never hear that. that would be so that'd be so offensive if somebody said that that would be hilarious if somebody actually tried to make <laughs> yeah. that argument, though. Like, right. it wouldn't have been that bad. It wouldn't have been that bad. No. Um, no, that's that's not okay. Um, well, but the, the similar example I was just thinking of is uh, I saw this guy on Facebook the other day who was saying that we shouldn't... mistake, man. I know, right? Yeah. Rule number one, don't Facebook go on Facebook. Like, 
<laughs> well, it was something I was tagged in. Oh, okay, it was yeah, like yeah. He, he was commenting on my dad's Facebook post, oh, right? Yeah, and so yeah. it was like I had to go see what was going on. Yep. And we were all like laughing about this guy over dinner, right? Okay, yeah. So because we were in Belize and we killed some lionfish. Right, which is like an invasive species and they destroy the reefs and yep. kill a lot of the other like local marine life. And then this guy was on my dad's Facebook and he's like a strong vegan saying like, it's totally wrong to kill any animal like this. Like if they're an invasive species, like we put them there and we shouldn't now interfere by trying to like take them out. It's totally wrong to kill like any animal, even if they are hurting the environment. Right. And then some other people like we didn't engage but some other people started responding to him and like getting in a fight with them. And towards the end of the discussion, he was basically like, well, you know, humans are basically like holding a continual holocaust against animals so maybe we just need to get rid of humans right Ooh, that is not good that's not good right? that is not good that is like advocating for genocide exactly exactly but in the context of like a strong vegan saying oh we need to like kill all humans is sort of like oh ha right yeah it's like whatever silly but in a different mental context somebody says that it's like whoa okay we (laughs) need to take a step back here yeah there's um Ooh, we can go. This is like a whole episode, but uh, there's a religion, a uh, smaller religion in India called, I don't know how you pronounce it, like Jan, Jainism. Jain, Jainism? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the practicing people who actually practice Jainism, they kind of take that argument, but they actually follow through kind of like the whole level where they actually wear a mask over their mouth so they don't accidentally breathe in like uh, any kind of like insects that they'll kill. Like they're not even allowed to step on an insect accidentally. Like that's considered a crime in, in the religion. They don't take antibiotics. Like there's like all sorts of stuff that but like i bet that guy's taken antibiotic in his life before that's a good point <laughs> right yeah it's like well bacteria are living things too so is it only animals right that he's talking about and also now there's like some research that's been going on that like trees can communicate with each other mm-hmm. so like via chemical signals in the roots right okay like would you ever do you use paper like yeah. you cut down a tree then like well, the, the example i always like it's like is where do you draw the line if you point? eat any fruit or vegetables that have been harvested yep then those machines that harvest the fruits and vegetables kill tons of animals, right? So if you care about not killing animals, you really can't eat any conventionally, like... Unless you grow it. Yeah, you would have to go and, like, grow your food, right? And then, like, also make sure you're not, like, killing an animal's environment. Like, you're going to kill animals either way. It's just, like, how many steps removed do you want? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right, we have plenty more tangents we can go on, but But we will save them for the the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, I think the only other thing from the intro, um, just looking over my notes, the only other thing we should mention is that, you know, as we go through the sections, people might think, oh, this guy's like super right wing or whatever. Like, he's not really right wing at all, but he is a defender of the individual, I would say. Like, so he's an individualist. And actually, something we should highlight here is that he is a liberal. Yeah. Right. right. Although term, liberal means something very different in 1930 than it does today. Th- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the traditional idea of you know liberalism is that the individual is autonomous right. and, you know, they should be allowed to largely do what they want to do without interfering on, you know, the successful life of other people. Right. And that's where the interpretation gets pretty crazy. But liberal today is means like, such a different thing than yeah. what it means traditionally. Right. If you read like Milton Friedman, right, he's considered a classical liberal. Right. Have you ever told anyone you're a classical liberal? Because I would definitely like if there were, you know, if I had to box myself, I definitely would box myself as a classical liberal. Yeah. But the problem is if you tell someone that they have no clue what you mean. Yeah. I, I used to say that and I've just knows. sort of given up. They're like, oh, so you're like you like Hillary Clinton. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> not really. But <laughs> yeah, I, it's that's 
that's the problem is that political well political philosophy and modern Parties, parties are so different, yeah. right? It's like we had a, you know, who was it? Gary Johnson was a libertarian candidate who yeah. thought abortion should be illegal. Right. Right. Yeah. And that just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I can see kind of how he would get there from if you mix a classical liberal ideology with a life begins at birth belief, you can reach that point. Yeah. But it doesn't really fit with like a traditional classical liberal you know, interpretation of like individual rights. Right, exactly. Right. So it's like even the Libertarian Party, which should reflect the classical liberal ideas, it misses it a lot. Right. And like half the time, I find that libertarian just means like ultra right wing. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, which is so odd. It's like, yeah, you're totally right. This mapping of parties, like political beliefs onto parties is so screwed up. Yeah. And I mean, even same thing with like the conservative parties, like the Republicans mm-hmm. and the, the Democrats, like there's so many things that each camp believe or not believes, but espouses from the party platform that you're like, that doesn't mean what you like. You're not matching what you're like all the protectionism stuff on the Republican side right yeah. now. It's like you talk about free markets, but then you only want about, free markets like locally. If even right. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, actually, I think the new tax law is a perfect example, right? Because that tax law was designed to punish people living in liberal states, right? Yeah. right? It punishes <laughs> New Yorkers and Californians, Californians by the making them yep. pay more taxes than everybody in, you know, the middle states, right. which are more Republicans. Yeah. So it's basically a, you know, super protectionist. Yeah, protectionist, right? <laughs> like super protectionist law that looks like, oh, it's, you know, good for business and stuff. And okay, it is, right? As business owners, we benefit a lot, sure. but it's definitely partially motivated by like punishing certain parts of the economy to like prop up others yeah which going back to sovereign individual is a great way to get people to leave <laughs> yeah right it is as we're starting to see right like we were just talking i don't know if this was in the bonus material or not but hopefully it was and hopefully you'll go to madeyouthinkpodcast.com and subscribe to the newsletter so yeah. we can get so you, can you guys bonus can get bonus material. material but anyway we were talking about how tim ferris left uh california yeah and now he's in austin austin yeah well, and um, I'm finding that is a growing plan for people. So many of my friends in tech, whether in New York or SF, are pretty much just, they have like a plan, a timeline to move to Austin or some other low tax city. Yep. Right. I was uh, actually thinking if you make, I don't, I've never done the math on this, but if you make enough money, it might actually be worth just buying an apartment in whether it's in Austin or Dallas or someplace in Texas, making that your official residence where all your income routes through. Mm. I mean, I think there's probably like rules on how long you can stay in others, like whatever other state yeah, you're in. But if you travel a lot, you probably would not hit that limit. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know what the limit is, but I'm just saying like the cost of buying that place would probably just be what you would have paid in income tax anyway. Well, that, that's the crazy so. thing. That's the crazy thing is if you can move to Austin or Seattle or Florida or any of these other states yep. and you can make about the same income, you get your rent for free. Yeah. If you're coming from California or New York. <laughs> and your rent is lower than it would be in New York. California. Well, but that, that's what I mean by for free, right? Yeah. Is it's like oh. you may even make more money yeah. while also getting your rent for free, right. right? Like that's the crazy thing. If you're making 75K in New York, you actually take home more making like 55, 60 yeah, in oh, Austin. Definitely. Right. And then that difference is like you could literally buy a house and the mortgage could be the difference that you're saving in your income taxes. Exactly. And then you're basically living for free effectively (laughs) for moving from New York. It's like, uh, do you think more states will do zero income tax? I think they will. if This stays. I think they will have to. Or New York and California will have to lower their income. They're the ones that will really have to make a change because, I mean, when I was living in SF, everybody wanted to get out. Nobody wanted to live there. Mm-hmm. Same. And I was there five years ago at this point. So yeah, yeah it was like we, we go and we stay for, you know, most 
people say for three, four years, get their tech experience, yep. you know, get, get that badge. high enough income, get but, the badge, <laughs> and then you go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. But it's just like a diaspora. Right. And I was really glad that I was able to live there as a sampling of it. Right. right. To hang out for four or five months. Yeah. And then say, OK, you know what? <laughs> I'm just not even going to get on this bus. Yep. Right? Like, I mean, I think we both know several people who are in the process of leaving San yeah. Francisco, too. And well, I have one I have one friend there who who's been there for years and he basically said, like, yeah, I, I really don't like the city that much and I pay way too much in taxes and it's crazy. For what you but get, sorry for shitting on San Francisco. No, we both used to live there. <laughs> so I guess that gives us a right to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but like for what you pay, you definitely do not get your money's worth. Well, that, that's the big difference, I think, between New York and SF. Yeah, you pay a lot in both places. In New York, it feels like you're buying something. Yeah. I mean, we both know more. you pay a lot more. Like, you pay a lot more than you would in Austin to live in New York. But there are also things you get in New York. Whereas in San Francisco, it's like you pay a lot to live in San Francisco. And then you're just like, what am I actually getting? Yeah, exactly. Why am I paying this The weather's much? not even that good. No, like, the weather's terrible. definitely better than New York. But it's not like it's not like you're living like Austin, I would argue, has probably like, yeah, OK, Austin has ridiculously hot days. But as long as you leave in the summer and go travel or something. Yeah, you're good to go. And it's a lot easier to do that when you're not paying as much in rent. That too. <laughs> it's a lot easier to justify it to yourself. Ooh. All right. We will right, get we to go. the actual book now. <laughs> Back into the book. <laughs> OK, so kind of the first the book kind of starts off where he is distinguishing between what he's calling like the mass man or the mass in general versus, quote, elite groups. And. And, um, you know, I think this quote in particular kind of really highlights to me what the difference is. So he says the select man, that's what he's referring to for the elite, is not the petulant person who thinks himself superior to the rest, but the man who demands more of himself than the rest, even though he may not fulfill in his person those higher extingencies. Um yeah, and I think that kind of like it's like the aspirational person as opposed to somebody who's like feeling high and mighty right. about themselves. Or somebody who you don't have to be rich right. or already successful. No, it's all you the have mindset. to want. It's the mindset. Yeah, it's the w- mindset, the drive, the like, I'm going to be better than the masses. Yeah. And the masses is basically just anyone who's hanging out in the comfortable mediocrity, right? Like, get your paycheck, stay home, watch football for four hours a day, yep. like go to sleep, do it again tomorrow. Yep. And then also is just not aspiring to improve either their lives or the lives of people around them. They're just kind of like existing without really existing yeah. in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he contrasts that with what the mass and, you know, the mass means most people now have at their disposal as opposed to what they had in the past. Right. In terms of luxuries, pleasures, like, I mean, you know, even in 1930, but now it's like, it's kind of take whatever the situation was in 1930 and like make it exponential for the last like whatever 50 years through technology. And it's like, I mean, he says now the mass has access to pleasures once reserved to the few. It's like totally true. Mm -hmm. Like you could not, even if you're royalty in like 1850, a person who was like the richest person in the world in 1850 would have like nothing compared to the person who makes like $30,000 today in America. Well, it's like if you think about it, you know, Rockefeller was the richest man in his day, but the probably lower middle income American has a better lifestyle in many ways than he did. I mean, even just access to the internet. Yeah, right. Exactly. Internet and a cell phone. And you've already got just so much more freedom and ability than the richest people in all of history ever had. Right. (laughs) Like even the ability to call somebody. Yeah. freaking amazing if you think about it did he have phones yeah i mean no i mean they probably had phones but it wasn't as simple as like hey nat what's up right yeah like like, texting texting versus a telegram yeah right like having a slack channel for your team yeah (laughs) like talking to people halfway around the world instantly right or all the way around the world instantly right it doesn't even matter right now the idea that you can hop on a plane for 200 dollars and get wherever in the u.s you want to get 
in a few hours is yeah. pretty cool. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's just like so many things, right, that we have access to. Even like running water and toilets or like huge. not nearly as good in the 1800s as they are now. Like we got to take those things for granted. Yeah. But they're not that old. It's almost everything that you do on a daily basis has some element of just like incredible like good fortune yep. that you never had in the past. I was just taking up my notes from The Rational Optimist by Matt right. Ridley. I haven't read that. It's, but it's, I know it's quoted a lot in Darwin's Dangerous Idea or at least Ridley. Ridley's quoted a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rational Optimist, I'd say is a solid like seven out of 10. Okay. It, it rambles a lot at certain points and you'll, you'll get the basic idea pretty quickly, but there's some good points in it. And one of the points he makes is that basically the average person today uses up like 600 times as much energy in a given day than they would have used even like three or 400 years ago, oh. right? Because even if you think about what we're doing right now, yep. recording this episode, yep. we're, I mean, we're using batteries, yeah. right? And we're using- We're using our iPads. We're using our iPads, right, for the notes. And then I've also got my laptop here in case we need to research something. We've yep. got lights on, yep. right? There's internet powering all of this, yep. right? The actual devices we're using were manufactured all by All the someone. devices of our listeners are being used exactly. while they're listening to it. Yeah. So, so it's the, a the, lot of power. Right. And that's part of his argument is that the fact that we have been able to concentrate, you know, what would have taken like to create all of this power a few thousand years ago would have taken the work of like so many people. I don't even know how many people. I don't know how to estimate that. Yeah. But the fact that it can all be concentrated into something that we don't even think about anymore. We've just got some power plants somewhere that's like helping supply all right. of this and Amazon basic batteries and yep. like you're good to go. <laughs> yep. So you just order online and they just show up. Exactly. You don't even think about like. And they show up faster yep. and in better quality if you go to majorthinkpodcast.com and <laughs> click on one of our links to Amazon first. <laughs> on uh, the support page. On the support page. It's and, true. Uh, Amazon gives you extra free stuff. Uh, I've got to stop making things. <laughs> <laughs> they give us free stuff. I guess. Yeah, they give us free stuff. <laughs> but it doesn't change your price, which is it's true. Good. Your so price you, is the same. No, which is good. So that, that's a way yeah. for you to support the, support the podcast and without spending any extra money. Exactly. But yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, you're totally right. Like there's a lot of things that kind of go on in the background that we just would never think about. Actually, a mini tangent on the energy part. So there's this argument that the sort of rise of the general quality of life of society in the past, kind of call it 200, 250 years, mm -hmm. has been fossil fuel driven essentially yeah yeah and that's like the acceleration and that we're kind of i think elon musk has actually talked about this where it's like it's kind of we're in a race to like figure out how to replace that with sustainable sources yeah before we run out of fossil fuels i think we talked about this on a past episode a Maybe. little bit yeah because this is the big problem with the whole we need to end fossil fuel consumption right now yep. it's like all right it's like well how are you gonna, exactly yeah, how are you gonna eat yeah. right do you want like two billion people to die because right. that's what's gonna happen if we go off fossil well, fuels one right guy now he, seems post, to, he yeah. might want them to die and be like that'd be great for the world but i, I debated commenting this it's probably not a smart thing to comment, but I was going to reply and say, like, if you truly believe that, then why haven't you offed yourself, right? Like, no skin in the game at all, right? That's the crazy thing about... Actually, Jordan Peterson brought this up on a podcast, too, because it was a pretty famous international group, not the UN, but something like one tier below the UN. Okay. That's pretty well regarded. I'll have to look up what it was, but it was... um They said something similar where they said, like, humans are... They're talking about the environment, saying humans are a cancer on the planet. And he was like, well, which humans exactly are you proposing we eradicate? Because <laughs> that's what you do with a cancer, right? You eradicate yeah. a cancer. Yeah. So it's like, which ones are you going to pick <laughs> to eradicate? Like, it's easy to say, like, in aggregate, okay, yeah, humans are not good. But are you going to, like, like, how do you make that choice? And I think yeah. that's actually what a lot of, like, the liberal, the classical liberal argument is, is that, like, 
you can't just look at people in these groups, like these mass kind of groups. It's mm-hmm. individuals yeah. at the end of the day. And each one of them sort of does have their own life and they have rights with that. And it's kind of like the difference. We're going to talk about this more in Darwin's Dangerous Idea, but the difference between, you know, broader philosophy and individual action, right? Where it's easy to have a broad philosophy of, oh, humans are bad and they hurt the environment. But then what does that translate to for individual action? Right. 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 Like, what do you do with that? Right. Right. I mean, okay, do you try to make humans better? Do you just like start picking off people at random? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It's really unclear. It's kind of like a lot of epistemology. Okay. Right. The, you know, the whole theory of knowledge. Right. Yep. And you can make a really good argument that, oh, we don't actually know anything and nothing is a fact, but I'm still going to assume that there will be gravity tomorrow. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah exactly. <laughs> some of the it, stuff that doesn't such a good translate point. to practicality. That's such a good point. But yeah. So the only other thing on, on that, uh, actually, well, we're sort of yeah. into the second chapter here now. There's, right? there's one other of- thing on the first chapter, though, which was with the masses, mm-hmm. there's sort of this conformity that is kind of driven at. So if like, I think the quote is anybody who is not like everybody who does not think like everybody runs the risk of being eliminated. And it is clear that this everybody is not everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you see that so much today. Yeah. Right. Like me. And I don't want to say it's because of social media, because it could just be social media is like highlighting it. And this kind of mentality has always existed. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to see now <laughs> than at his time. That's the mindset I've been getting more into is that social media isn't necessarily bad in and of itself. It is just that it creates so much amplification that all of these ideas that have been there forever are just being seen more, right? Uh, I don't remember who I was listening to, but they basically said that if you look at what groups of people are the most what's the best term for this? Like people who are most uh, against people in other tribes, right? It's older people. Okay. It's not the young people that you hear about most, you know, yelling on social media. Yeah. <laughs> so there's something just sort of, you know, innate within us about not liking people different from us. Right. And then the ability to communicate with everyone. Which actually, you know, like it, this totally might be natural. so much controversial. Yeah, it's natural. And it kind of makes sense like evolutionarily because like they had different diseases and they had like, you could, they're going like, to come kill you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Native Americans are like literally the poster children for this kind of mentality because- disease basically eradicated most tribes oh yeah just because people different than them right like right. small they had smallpox and they were not resistant to it yeah. and uh yeah so this kind of fear of strangers is not really unnatural yeah it's not good necessarily but it's understandable why that would happen well and that's why i think it's so crazy when you hear somebody stand up and say like oh i'm not racist at all yeah. it's like you're clearly full of shit right right because it is totally human to you know judge other people who are different than you yep. but being civilized yeah. means like not acting on that as much as right. possible and that's where reason right? comes in that's, that's where yeah. your brain is a tool we've to, got that like three-tiered brain structure yeah. right and the, the like core older part of our brain is basically like yo if you don't look like me you're bad and then the whole uh, prefrontal cortex is like okay no we don't have well, to no, like be mean to people yeah. right it's sort of like it's, uh, well it's kind of like if you see a donut like your first what's the uh emotional part or the, the limbic the limbic yeah, I think system. it's the limbic system. Yeah. yeah, it was gonna be like, oh, fatty, sugary foods, great calories. Yeah, go. but then your prefrontal cortex should be like, well, should we really be having that right now? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, that's why you have a prefrontal cortex. Well, it, it's also kind of like, uh, and this is a weird mentality to have, but every time you hear of a murder. You should almost think like, wow, it's amazing that there was only that number of humans killed today by other humans. That's a really good point. Because uh, I think this was in Selfish Gene, maybe? No, it was in one of the books that we just read, which was uh, that if like ants had nuclear weapons. Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) If ants had nuclear weapons, they were just... What book was that? (laughs) That was really recent. It was really recent. It wasn't Denial of Death. No. 
Oh, uh, Psychology of Human Misjudgments, I yes. think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, so it was from Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like if ants right. had nuclear weapons, all ants would be dead within 10 minutes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or like the fact that we can get on a plane and we don't immediately all start killing each other, right? <laughs> if yeah. you put 200 chimpanzees and oh, tried to sit them in God. rows on a plane, like, that would not go well, right? I mean, even if you see like two dogs pass each other while you're walking them, like... It's true. Half the time, you know, somebody's yeah. going to get a little yippy. Yeah, exactly. So. And that's just two. Like, imagine two. a big group. <laughs> yeah, imagine if you put 200 dogs on a plane. A plane. Right? Oh, How's man. that going to go? That would get really rough really fast. Yeah. Although they might not fight. There's actually... So there's a nature preserve in Costa Rica okay. where any stray dogs in the country can be sent there. And it's just like a giant national park. Oh, interesting. And all the dogs run free and hang out with each other. And it's also like an adoption center so you can go and hang out with the dogs in this park and if you find one you really like you can take them home that's really cool and then they've got different bandanas based on you know how friendly and stuff they are and there's people monitoring it and helping feed them and stuff but they all seem to get along so maybe it's something about having a shared territory where it's less it's combative they view each other as being part of the same tribe but i yeah. wonder how new ones are introduced and how that goes yeah it's a good question because they would imagine they would not think it seems like it could be uh, confrontational yeah yeah i don't know interesting cats are very territorial too yeah cats are mean (laughs) (laughs) okay so we're kind of into the second one here so in the second essay he really starts kind of highlighting this idea that not only do the masses have more than they've ever had or humans in general have more than they've than we've ever had but we actually appreciate that less and less Mm. and then he also highlights how uh kind of because we have so much, so we're like the Lord of all things, I guess. And that's a quote from later, but we're kind of the Lord of all things on earth. We don't really respect any kind of authority anymore. Whereas in the past, there would be a lot more sort of, you are kind of born into a certain socioeconomic sphere and that's sort of where you know you'll stay. So you don't even have this idea of upward mobility. And uh, that sort of upward mobility has created a lot of kind of social strife in his opinion and anxiety. Which is an interesting idea that these success stories of people, you know, transcending the life they were born into, you know, for some people, it's really motivating. Right. I view that as really exciting. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter where someone was born or when they were born or what sort of they were born with. They can become kind of whatever they want. They can break through. Exactly. It's so inspiring. But then to some people, as he points out, right, yeah. it's sort of like, well, hey, how come they're getting all this stuff and I'm not now? Right. Well, because it highlights it forces you to confront one of two things. Right. It can forces you to either confront that, like, let's say you try and you just don't make it then I'm not good enough, right? right? So that's one option. Or two is that the world is construed against me and preventing me from getting this thing that's attainable for other people. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's got to be one of those two. Usually it's number one. Actually, almost all the time I'd say it's number one, but there Mm -hmm. are, there is of course like luck that's involved, right? So in some instances you could say it could be two, but most people I would say who say that aren't even trying yet. And this is also the problem with, you don't want to make the argument like, oh, all poor people are lazy, right? No, Because that's not the argument. Because you might not have been told that or you've never been taught how to actually move up or, you know, but I would actually say it's not usually not the poorest people who are actually complaining about this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, Would you not. agree? Okay. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah. I, I don't remember where I was reading this recently, but there's this concept called uh, Girardian terror where Girardian like conflict where we most hate the people who are most similar to us. Oh, yeah. That's, right? I totally. See so that. Yeah. there's a really good article by Dan Wang called uh, College as an Incubator of Girardian Terror, I think is what he phrases it as. Uh, and he basically points out that the reason there's so much fighting in colleges is that everyone's exactly the same for the most part, right? You're all it, like, take all the students at Middlebury, right? Right. It's like, you're all basically exactly the same yeah. on a global 
scale. That's right? a selection bias though, right? That's yeah. Like it's they like selected for the people who are all super similar, yeah. but then you have the most conflict against people you are most similar with. You don't see students at Middlebury getting super angry and riled up about like kids at a random college in China, yeah. but they have way more different from them. Right. The other example in there is uh, like if you watch Game of Thrones, yeah. right? The people who have the most conflict in Game of Thrones are the people who are most similar to each other. It's the rich families and yeah. then it's the members of those families yeah. amongst themselves, right? Such so point. it's like, the, you know, the Lannisters are killing each other, but they are the most similar, right? right? And so to this point, it's not the people who are poorest who have the most, you know, hatred towards the system. It's the people who are like middle class probably and have like some of the comforts, but they have a, you know, neighbor or whatever who's done a little bit better, right? They'll feel way more animosity towards that person who seems close to them, who has better opportunities than they will towards uh, like the super rich person who seems totally like right, out of their league. Like you don't see people you don't see too many people at least acting jealous of Elon Musk yeah. because they view him as being this like separate type of creature. Right. <laughs> right. So they're not equating themselves with because if you think about it, if there's somebody who's very similar to you, but is more successful, that's like a mirror to you. It feels more painful. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a mirror to you. It's like this is what you could be. Right. If you got your shit together <laughs> or if life turned out differently for you. Right. And that actually could be very painful for somebody to look at. So, yeah, it's like, you're right. It's got to be the people who are closest to them. Because if you look at somebody who's totally different, you don't even think about, like, there's no real emotional connection. It's you, not, you can't even fathom that you could reach that level. No, it's almost like reading about, like, a species of animal or something. <laughs> like, right. Which is kind of the point he's making here, which is that since the masses have gone up to this super comfortable level where everyone has a pretty great life, you know, back in the day, 1% of people got to live in castles and have an awesome life, and 99% were just peasants hanging out on farms, or, right? Yep. But now that everyone can have... Yeah, so it's, in that sense, the people, the lords who lived in the castles were, like, separate creatures. Like, exactly. they were not in the same orbit as yeah you couldn't really serfs. be jealous of them because there's no way you were ever going to reach that level and there was also no anchor like there was no sense of like this is what i could like my life could be it was just like okay that person's born a dog i'm born a cat like that's just what it is right <laughs> which is probably why you would see more violence within social groups than among them or like yeah. than between them right because if it was super clearly striated striated uh then people just feel like okay that's what i'm born into it's kind of like caste system in india yeah, right yeah. it's like i don't know this for a fact but i would imagine that when that was super reinforced and believed you would have way more conflict within, within castes than between yeah. them which is probably why there's so many subcasts there's all these mm. like subcasts within the cast because it's probably people trying to differentiate versus like they probably got into conflict and we're like well we're this kind yeah i'm more kind. brahmin than yeah you are, exactly right, right. Yeah, and then there's something he actually says that relates to sovereign individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so this is a quote where, so he's saying, the sovereignty of the unqualified individual of the generic human being as such has now passed from being a judicial idea or ideal to be a psychological state inherent in the average man. And heed this, that when what was before an ideal becomes an ingredient of reality, it inevitably ceases to be an ideal. So it's like, kind of what you're saying, right? It's like, as people now are sovereign, so they're conscious of being in control of their own destiny, that kind of forces you to make yourself qualified by kind of striving. That's what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you're not doing that, if you're just kind of what he's calling the generic, and there's not only a really nice way to say it, like mass person, generic yeah. person, none of it sounds good, but it's kind of like 
somebody who's not striving. I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't well, know how else to say it. You know what term Yuval Noah Harari uses now, which I love, but it sounds so bad. And people get so uncomfortable if you use this in casual conversation. Okay, what is it? Is, uh, and he, to be clear, he's mostly referring to the class that in 10, 15 years just will not be employable, okay, yeah. right? Because of AI and tech. Which we talked so, about in Sovereign Individual. Yeah, also. he calls yep. it the useless class. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but That's just, really bad. But he does it totally casually, right? Yeah. He's like, in 15 years, the useless class will be confined to like virtual reality, living in their homes uh, with nothing, you know, productive for them to apply themselves to, right? But that's okay because they've always had a virtual reality to get immersed in. So actually, if that becomes the end state, let's just assume, for example, that that this is a tangent time, mm-hmm. tangent time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the sort of like, I don't know if it's 10, 15 years, but let's say n number of years in the future, that's sort of the end state. That actually takes us back to like the serfs and lords type of environment where people who are in that, quote, useless class, right, will just not view themselves in the same category as the, quote, useful class. Mm -hmm. And there might not be the jealousies in between because they're just not part of the same environment anymore. Yeah. Well, and I actually... So are we in like a weird transition period? So I think we are. And I think Harari made a really good point. He's got an article in, I think it's in The Guardian called, it's something like The Future of Work or What Will Life Look Like in a World Without Work might be the title. And he makes the point in the article that you know, throughout history, we do live in a weird time now where everyone feels like they can be economically useful, right? Historically, most people just weren't. You were like working in a factory, just kind of doing your thing, or you were, you know, the 1% entrepreneurial, like, productive members right but then if we go back even before that most people were just farming for subsistence but then he makes the argument that they were living in virtual reality too because they had religion and we don't really have that anymore but a religion is basically a game right you know you you pray a certain number of times uh, a day and you get points and if you get enough points over your life you win the game and you get to go to heaven right and you've got people who make up rules and who you have to listen to and all of this stuff uh he's basically saying or harari was basically making the point that we're just going to go back to something like that Hmm. where that is kind of the same yeah, yeah, it's very similar where like right now we're in a weird state where everyone feels like they can and should have, you know, a totally equal economic success. But then we'll kind of have to move into a point where we create like a virtual reality solution for what he calls the useless class, uh, because we very just have like way more people than can be super economically viable so in 20 years. So then that's a good argument for basic income, I guess. Yeah, because right? how would you keep those people alive because right now the economic system is tied to usefulness right so if somebody is not useful useful. then how do they get paid and that would be basic income but then talking about what we talked about before right in sovereign individual who exactly is the one who's going to be paying for that dude i think it's going to be a real challenge you know the more i think about it i wonder if it would be though groups of let's say the quote one percent sort of decide amongst themselves that like it's better to essentially buy off the quote useless class so revolt. to not have revolts yeah yeah because that's the problem is that with enough numbers they could you know oh yeah <laughs> wreck things right and i imagine that you might have to have like galt's culture or whatever right yeah, exactly like, yeah. right you just build an island in the middle of the pacific or something and send everyone there by Belize or something yeah. like that well I, there are a few organizations that are trying to do something like that buy up parts of uh emerging countries emerging economies yeah. and you know lease them as new city states right yeah. uh i was talking about this over the holiday with some friends where I actually, I mean, I do think there's a really compelling argument that the future major economic and technological hubs of the future will be the city states like Singapore, Hong Kong, to a certain extent, San Francisco thinks it is kind of a city state, right? It's like it, it is, is part of the US, the, but it does its own the, thing, right? Minus the high taxes that we talked about. But yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and there's like other ones like that around the world too. I'm blind. I mean, New York could be. 
New York theory, could be, right? Yeah. But I am saying like the good examples right now are Hong Kong and yeah, Singapore, definitely. which literally are basically Dude, Hong states. Kong is amazing. So we finally, we just like connected with our first brewery out in Hong Kong because there was like a conference there. So we're hopefully going to be working with them. I found out their regulation is so different than China. Yeah, it's it's like totally a different. It's like the US. So there's one person I connected with who she owns the brewery as well, but she also owns the biggest beer bottle shop in Hong Kong cool. where that's how she got started kind of in this space. That was like her foothold and then used sort of the success of that to start the brewery. So she has a retail channel. Anyway, super smart person but she was saying that like in her bottle shop she always has these like rare bottles basically for people to buy and there's a lot of rich people in hong kong who are willing to pay like a significant amount of money for that and she travels a lot you know for work and stuff so and she has people who work with her who travel a lot as well every time they travel to the u.s they just put beer in their suitcase and bring it back and in hong kong there's no issue around importing that there's only an issue if something's above 20 percent alcohol you have to pay some type of import tax otherwise there's no import tax and she literally takes it out of her suitcase and puts it on the shelf to sell that's awesome <laughs> and when she said that i was like that's crazy and then more i think about it i'm like why can't you do that like why can't i when i go to the uk why can't i buy bottles of beer and bring them to the u.s and just like if you want to buy them i sell them to you right for like two dollars more than i paid for them that's like so illegal if i did that in the u.s like First of all, like, how the fuck do you get that through customs? Yeah. You got in big trouble there. <laughs> you got, you've got a suitcase. It's just like rattling. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the first thing. You can take it out of the country. You just can't take it into the country. Right. So yeah, so that's problem number one. Problem number two is if I try to sell it to you without a license, there come the state regulatory authorities. There's the federal regulatory authorities. Yeah. You're just screwed. But Hong Kong is just like, sure, that's fine. Cool. Just Go for it. it. Yeah. Well, I, so I actually think that there's an argument to be made that we will move away from a lot of regulation, not because government will, you know, get smarter and stop regulating so many things, but because nobody cares that things are regulated anymore, yeah. <laughs> right? I, I was noticing this talking to my dad about some stuff where... I think we were talking about crypto and we were talking about like buying and selling things with cryptocurrency. And I was saying like, you know, if let's just say it's like, let's say my dad's here and me, you and my dad are hanging out. And let's say that he wants to thank us for making this podcast. And so he sends us one Zcash every month, right? One Bitcoin every month. That would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody wants to do that. We will give you our wallets. (laughs) (laughs) Wallet addresses are in the bonus material for this episode. Uh, But if he wants to send us a Zcash for each episode, and then if I want to buy a beer from you each month or a case of beer for a you know, a fraction of a Zcash. Sure. And then if you want to turn around and buy legal advice from my dad for a certain amount of Zcash, that all those transactions are completely untraceable. We've created our own mini economy yep. and there's no way the government could see that and, right. you know, tax, ha- it, tax or, it for us. Yep. And he was sort of making the argument of like, oh, well, they'll figure it out or, oh, but that's illegal. And my response is sort of like, so? So here's right? the here's the counter argument not for the long term. Like I think long term, that's totally what is most well, likely well, to happen. Just, just last thing, so oh, I can be clear the yeah. point that I'm making. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is that I think there's a generational difference where he cares that that is illegal. Oh, got it. And I think our generation yeah, is sort of care. like, we don't care, right? Like gay marriage is legal, fuck it. We'll just do it anyway, right? Like right. marijuana is <laughs> legal, fuck it. We'll just legalize it anyway, right. right? It's like, oh, we can't, you know, there's just all these things that I think we do that are illegal that yeah. we don't think about because we believe on some level that that shouldn't be regulated. So we just do it. We're like a lot more of a libertarian generation, I yeah. think. For way sure. more. And it's probably from technology too. Yeah. Right. It's like if I, I can go online and I can read and I can learn that, okay, you know, LSD is probably safer for you than Tylenol. Right. So yeah, I'm going to take LSD, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't make sense to just listen to the regulation because it's a regulation. Right. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Don't play it on the internet. <laughs> Please don't do anything stupid and then blame the Mage Thing podcast. <laughs> go ahead. Nat, sorry. Matt specifically. Nat specifically yeah. You can blame Neil. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was saying uh, the only reason I think regulation 
inflation scares the Bitcoin price or the, any of the cryptocurrency prices so badly mm-hmm. is that like, uh, have you ever heard the phrase like in the long run, we're all dead, yeah. right? So it's like in the long run, I think you're totally right. Like, okay, there's no way they would see that. That's sort of how things will probably operate in the future. I'm obviously not a fortune teller, but yeah. that seems logical, the kind of example you gave. But it's like, in the short run, there might be a lot of like could be a lot of crackdown. Mm-hmm. Like there could be like, well, if you have a Coinbase account, that is straight up illegal for right. a US citizen. Like it's not right now, right? So well, at least when we're making this podcast, it's not illegal. <laughs> but like if there ended up being enough fraud through something, like you, you just don't know. Like they technically have the authority to do that. And mm-hmm. Coinbase does have your information. But Coinbase, um, I think they don't report to the IRS. Not yet. They don't report information. They not just yet. sent you in they just send you an IC email saying, like, hey, pay your taxes. Not yet. But I think that could. could very like could happen like tomorrow. Yeah. Where true. they're like like, yeah, we are actually now going to report everything. <laughs> They're probably going to have to. Yeah. Right. I, I saw I use Binance also now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm increasingly switching away from Coinbase because I just Same. don't trust them. And it's so expensive. It's expensive. And also they've just like fucked up enough things where I just I, I don't know what, who's how their operations are going. The uh, Bitcoin I mean, cash thing was pretty suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> did you see really that live shady. or was it like uh, or did you just read about it after? I uh, I saw all the spiky craziness okay. live, but and when it happened, it, I kind of had that sense. I was like, all right, there's something a little shady going yeah. on here. <laughs> uh, and then after some of that stuff came out, it was like, all right, yeah, they're going to need to do better. Yeah. Um, oh, no. The only thing about Binance I was going to say is that I noticed now they're like recommending for US based uh, users. They say like it's not required yet, but they say uh, we recommend you upload your a picture of your driver's license. They're not requiring it, but I think I could see that coming yeah. pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's I don't know, it's just very interesting, like how that'll go. Like long run, I totally am on the same page as you. Like there's no reason you, me, your dad, somebody in China, somebody in Russia, someone in the UK, like we all couldn't just use Zcash or something like that to trade with each other mm-hmm. without worrying about wire fees and imports and all these registering a company in each of those countries. Yeah. Do, do we have to do investor disclosures for the, the coins that we're holding? Well, at the moment, I'm, on, I'm not holding Zcash. I'm holding Ethereum. I'm holding a very little amount of Bitcoin, but I still have a little bit of Bitcoin. I'm oh, are you, are you more in Ethereum than Bitcoin? I'm way more in Ethereum Interesting. than Bitcoin, which I'm very happy about lately. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Ethereum it's... has been shooting up, like, but I still don't know what's causing it to shoot up, but I'm happy about it. Well, so actually, if you look, though, at its uh, price ratio to Bitcoin. It's, yeah, you're the one that told me that. Yeah. It's really just going back to what it to was what it before. Be. It You can it's almost think of it more like it crashed. Yeah. It crashed despite going up because it went up much Bitcoin, less than Bitcoin. Exactly. That could yeah. just be because Bitcoin shot up for inexplicable reasons right. to 20K. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but you're right. It is leveling out from the ratio standpoint. You're the one that told me that, actually. So, yeah. yeah. So I kept doing the Ethereum buys, but I stopped everything else. And then I bought a little bit of Tron. Uh, Dude, did you see the Tron white paper thing? I just bought it as a complete lottery ticket. Oh, okay. Uh, at fifteen cents. Yeah, we'll see what it does. I don't it even does. know what it is now. I don't even check. I'll, I'll send you the. I don't even check like after. any. I check them like once a week. Oh, basically. you gotta get. Like, um, actually, no, you definitely shouldn't get this because you'll spend all of your time on it. You're the one that told me not to check too much. It's so I'm following yours and Taylor's and Adil's advice. I know. <laughs> so yeah. Like, well, yeah, from the crypto episode. There's an app called episode Block- four. Episode four. Check it out. No, episode eight. Something like that. Yeah, episode, I think it's eight. episode something. Episode something. Pre ten. <laughs> there, there's an app called Blockfolio where you can put in your holdings of each oh, coin, and then yeah, not using don't, this. Don't download it. It's <laughs> so addicting. And so I, I even like have to like prevent. The only thing I have left in Coinbase is is Ethereum, mm-hmm. and I still have to prevent myself from checking that every day. Mm, like, cause yeah. I'm not trading it. Like, I'm just holding it. So oh, why yeah. am I checking every day? Like, it should not matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what are you holding? Uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, Zcash. I sold my Litecoin, but I, I might go, might I go sold back into most it. of mine when it jumped back up to a good ratio to Bitcoin. I'm just holding a little bit for funsies. Yeah, for lottery yeah. ticket purposes, house money. Exactly. Zcash, IOTA, 
and Bitcoin Diamond. Ooh, we will have to yeah. have a good com. We might, might do a crypto part. We should two do a crypto part too sometime. Yeah, bring in some other people for it. Yeah, crypto is hot. Um, it's fun to talk about. We always end so, up talking about but it. It's so related to so many other topics, right? Like yeah. it's like okay, it's obviously by itself it's interesting, but mm-hmm. then it's related to like nation states. It's related to business. It's related to currencies, politics. Yeah. Like it's this idea of mass man versus like the elites, right? It's like all, it's all connected. Well, I saw a good tweet about that yesterday where somebody came up to me and asked if I could explain cryptocurrency. And I said, okay, do you, just do you want a to link know? to made you think <laughs> podcast? Well, no. And then you said like, okay, well, do you want to know about the like finance, politics, geography, <laughs> like uh, cryptography, like computer science, uh, philosophy, like just there's so many aspects to it, which is probably why it comes up in all these episodes. Right, exactly. Right. Because in the context of this, the revolt of the masses potentiality, which we haven't totally even gotten to yet. Right. We're still defining what the masses are. Yep. But that idea that as they create this greater and greater resent of the elite class, they could, you know, rise up there is this element of it becomes easier and easier for a elite group to just leave a government and do the whole sovereign individual thing if there is a totally distributed, you know, third party free financial service. Right. And uh, also, we should say that we have no special insight into cryptocurrencies. We are monkeys throwing darts, blindfolded monkeys throwing darts at a dartboard. That's all I retweeted yesterday Uh, or two days ago. (laughs) On the flip side, every time we have talked about crypto on an episode, by the time the episode goes out, it's gone up. So clearly last time it hasn't come out yet, but I think one of the episodes we recorded, I think it was the recap one. We were saying it's going to be. Oh, yeah, we were were predicting 20K over the holidays. Oh, you said 20K or 5K. Yeah. Instead, it just did nothing. Well, the episode hasn't come out yet, so we have a few days to go, right? Doesn't the episode come out next week or two weeks from now or something? Anyway, I think it's like in two weeks. Anyway, we have a little (laughs) ways to go, so it could could still (laughs) happen. We got time. (laughs) Um, All right. Back to to the book. So yeah, so one last thing on the mass man, just another quote I really, really liked, which was, um, so this is from the book, the mass man is he whose life lacks projects and just drifts along. As a result, though, his possibilities and his powers are enormous. He constructs nothing. So I think that's like, just kind of sums it up really nicely of he or she, right? Is this person who has enormous power, you know, now, I mean, I think this is even more true now than it was when he wrote this, because with the internet, you literally can construct yeah. Anything. <laughs> well, and you hear these crazy stories of like homeless people who are given a Google Chromebook, you know, and then they can learn to program and then get a job at a tech company. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like you can literally go from zero to upper echelons, like with the technology that's just available to you right now. Right. Right. Not everyone will have the ability, motivation to do it, but it is essentially available. It is available there's no, to you. Yeah, there's no like castration that makes it impossible, right? It there's comes no down to the individual. You there's no law. A, not even buying or using yeah. uh, a computer or, yeah. It's not like a Game of Thrones situation where there's the name nobility and nobody yes. else can be them. And your last name is not a noble last name, so therefore so, yeah. you are not, yeah, it's not, like that's not how it works anymore. Exactly. There are still, you know, barriers that you would have to push through, but it's much more doable now than it ever has been. And that's always the challenge with this kind of debate is like, well, just how low should those barriers be, right? It's like everyone's going to start off at different levels, obviously, but you also want to incentivize people to create the best life possible for their kids, Hmm. right? And that's where I find like some of the privileged stuff gets hard, right? Because if somebody is criticizing someone for being born better off, then they're also saying that they don't want their kid to be better (laughs) off right and like maybe some people believe that and if they actually believe that that's fine i respect that but to me it also is like the skin in the game that you put in at that point though exactly it's like you see people complain about um 
the state of the public education system, but then mm-hmm. they send their own kids to to private school after like if you're saying like oh not enough people send their kids to oh, public oh, school yeah, and then yeah. like you go send your kids to private school right like i don't know i have i know the obamas did that and i was i like was really judgmental of that like they talk a lot about how public school needs to you know kind of like people should send their kids to public school and stuff but then they send their kids to sidwell friends yeah <laughs> and i don't know like i know dc schools are not good but that still. would have sent a great message by sending if you sent your kids there. And they would probably still be able to get to any college they'd want to get to. Exactly. <laughs> probably still be okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, the, the last funny example of that is always the white students on college campuses complaining that not enough minority students are mm-hmm. getting in and the school needs to let in fewer white yeah. people and give them to minority students. It's like, well, why haven't you left yet? Right. Yeah. It's always the, it comes back to the whole just. I think even Celeb talked about it where he's like people who constantly talk about like, oh, there's not enough minority and there's not enough minorities in that it's like those are the same people who like don't really have any friends who are minority yeah exactly all their friends are <laughs> yeah. rich white people right, exactly yeah who they complain about diversity with it's like well yeah. come on <laughs> the, the, the last funny example of that is uh psych researchers and writers who say that you don't make any more you don't get any happier making more than seventy thousand dollars a year but who make more than seventy thousand dollars a year right yeah who like are doing all of this work and traveling and writing books and stuff to make more money and it's like well come on do you believe you're a researcher right. or not? yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and that's essentially the mass man in this context is somebody who, and we definitely tangented again, uh, but somebody who has all of this future available to them, but instead of taking advantage of it and really doing something, creating projects, pursuing that great life, they do nothing and or complain about it. And notice how this has nothing to do with the results. He's not saying people who succeeded in their projects, yeah. people who are doing projects. Trying. Yeah. Not just like getting the paycheck and watching TV. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, So this essay is called Why the Masses Intervene in Everything and Why They Intervene Only with Violence. And it's essentially like, this is going to sound super elitist of the author here, but um, (laughs) just kind of sum up this chapter. It's like people believe they can have an opinion now and they are wrong <laughs> exactly yeah. that, that's that's really what he's saying is that because of this social rising the social movement everyone feels like their opinion is valuable and when it comes down to it most people's opinions aren't valuable well and i think one thing he does say as i'm reading over one of the quotes it's that if you haven't put in the effort to work out the opinion for yourself you don't have the right to have an opinion yeah and i think that's the key distinction right it's if you're like, just parroting what other people say exactly which i mean i know we're definitely guilty of as well it's like you know, how many of the beliefs we have are actually our own beliefs that we've worked out from first principles, as we've talked about in other episodes. Elon Musk, episode 13. But I think that so much of it is like, we just find the sort of uh, commentators that we like, and then they say something and we're like, oh yeah, that must be right. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, did you read my article yesterday? I have not yet. It's in in pocket. All right. It's it's a long one. I gotta get there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my whole article yesterday was about. And so I I use the term level three thinking. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I saw the title. I was curious what that meant. Yeah. So level one thinking is is you just adopt and comply with whatever ideology you're born into or get thrust upon you by your culture, right? So if you're like a rural Muslim in Pakistan, right? You're just, you're Muslim, not because you chose to be Muslim, but because it's just your society, right? Or if you're like a New England rich kid who's trying to get into Stuyvesant, right? You didn't like choose to that you want to go to Stuyvesant. It was just forced upon you. Is it Stuyvesant? Okay, Stuyvesant. So that's level one thinking. Level two is when you find a new ideology and then you 
jump on that one instead, right? So somebody who is like raised really Christian and then says, oh no, wait, I'm atheist now. But then they're super militant about being atheist, right? Or somebody who discovers CrossFit and it's like super (laughs) energized about CrossFit, right? And they're like kind of annoying about their belief. Uh, And then level three thinking is when you can like blend ideas from a lot of different ideologies together into your own worldview, right? And kind of what he, relating it to this, he's saying that if you're really doing like level one or level two thinking, just taking somebody else's ideas and parroting them consciously or not, you're not entitled to an opinion. But if you can create a new like level three interpretation based on a lot of information out there, like then maybe you have something to say. Yeah, or you're at least trying to work it out for yourself. I mean, you had that really good thread or I guess tweet storm on over the holidays. Which was Th- that's about, what inspired like, this article. Yeah, it's such yeah, a good. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah exactly. Because that was like the level. It was about personal development. Personal development, right? right? And I love that because it's so right. It's like you find sort of initially you just have like you're just sort of going with what was it the Tim Ferriss type of stuff. Uh, right? Level one is like was, life hacker. Yes, life right. hacker. Yes, it goes yeah. life hacker. Uh, like life hacker, Tim Ferriss, four hour work week, like that's Farnham level, Street. That's level two, right? Or, well, so the levels changed from the tweet okay. to the article. Got it. Uh, <laughs> in the tweet, there were four levels. Got it. Yeah, that's just what I thought. Like, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like this is just me being anal. Whenever I'm doing something with numbers, it either has to be three or five, <laughs> right? So it could be a five level nice. system or it could be a three level system, but four level just doesn't. Okay, eh. this is, I know we're, we got to get moving, but yeah. this is, this is another tangent. I always have this hunch whenever I see any kind of article, it's like the top five ways to do this i'm like were there really four and then they just needed to make a fifth one yeah or, and then like just to make it better or you know whenever i see top 10 i'm like were there really 11 that they cut one out or like well and despite the fact that it? i do this whenever i see something in a grouping <laughs> of three or five i assume that information was like changed changed or right so ne- like shape, even as i'm yeah. saying right now right the system might make more sense as a four level system but it's easier to explain as a three level system but yeah le- level one was like life hacker huffington post right just like going with like the super basic information level two was like the tim ferris lifestyle designer type right yep. and the original was like life hacker lifestyle designer self designer yeah right where you're not just like no, you know, playing with the system, playing, playing with the system, you're playing with yourself in the system. And then level four is like infinite player. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, in terms of books, you would read level one would be like, uh, I will teach you to be rich. OK, sure. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Level two would be like four hour work week. Level three would be like anti-fragile, maybe. And level four would be like finite and infinite games. Yeah. Right. Or level three could also be like principles. Or- yeah, I was going to say even level f- maybe three or four. I don't know exactly. But like uh, letters or meditations yeah. or yeah. I, I basically said philosophy is typically like a three or four thing. Yeah, because you have to figure out the applications from there's there. interpretation involved. Yeah. yeah. And seeing how it fits your life. Yeah. And going back to the book. Yeah. Which we are being so yes. bad about today. Yes. OK, back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> but he's this is a good book that, that sparks a lot of discussion, it does. Which, is, which is nice. Yeah. And he's got and it'll spark a lot of your own thoughts, here. too, as you read him, as you read these essays. And he definitely, honestly, like, I'll just say this. He says a lot of things that I think, too, but that I wouldn't necessarily write. <laughs> right. Or like, I 100% agree that most people should not be allowed to have political opinions on Twitter. Right. And then, like, not be allowed, but they shouldn't be listened to. Right. <laughs> say that's quite statist of you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, they, they should be allowed to, but nobody should take them seriously. Like, yeah. when celebrities are endorsing political candidates and people I are listening know. to them. Yeah. It's totally. like, it's like this guy just looks attractive in movies and you're yeah. taking his political opinions seriously like come on right what work has he done that is a fallacy that we talked about in influence i think right yeah it is it's like the liking liking. you might like his movies so their political candidates betting that you're gonna like his political views as well right but and it works really well and sometimes there is a legitimate reason there's a lot of really smart musicians and actors and stuff like ashton kutcher is a good example right if ashton kutcher says something about tech 
Like you listen to him, yeah, because he knows that shit. But if you know, I don't know, who should I make fun of here? Like, uh, I, okay, I'm not gonna pick someone because no matter. Okay, Channing Tatum. Right? Okay. I assume he knows nothing about tech. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe but, we should look that up. Yeah, but if he came out and he was doing an ICO, I would be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It might end up Tentacoin. like Dentacoin. <laughs> Dentacoin's like $500 million valuation. Dentacoin? What's yeah, it's to, to pay dentists. It's worth $500 million right now. I hate ICOs. Zero people have used Dentacoin to pay for their dentists, and oh, zero people are probably going to. Well, to be fair, market but, cap is a really bad evaluation oh, yeah, for yeah, cryptos. Yeah. But Of course. But the whole, jeez, <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> anyway, back to, the anyway book. back to the book. So what he's getting at here is that everybody has these opinions. Now they have the power to share them, yeah. much more so now. But their opinions aren't being listened to because you know, they shouldn't be. And the elites aren't going to listen to the opinions of like the mass man. And so then this eventually leads to revolt, right? Everyone thinks they're entitled to something. They're not getting that. Well, there's, and, and but there's one step before that, which he talks about, which is really interesting. So I don't know what syndicalism is, Okay, but he says, this is a quote from the book, under the species of syndicalism and fascism, there appears for the first time in Europe, a type of man who does not want to give reasons or to be right, but determined to impose his opinions. This is the new thing, the right not to be reasonable, the reason of unreason which is did you crazy see, did you see an article recently there was a really interesting yeah. article i think it was shared. Oh, the age of unreason yeah yeah what was it in the atlantic i think it was in the atlantic or something it's basically like how it was like reason overrated yeah and like i've seen people on twitter uh, i don't know um, this is obviously anecdotal but seeing people on twitter talking about how like reason is like sexist or well yeah that, uh, that's the argument racist. That hear, right like, like reason is what are uh, we talking about here <laughs> reason is like an oppressive force from yeah. the white male patriarchy that's like the extreme version of that and it's like what like, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah why um but that's literally this yeah that's literally what he's talking about in 1930 but and what i loved about this was that a lot of people will say that oh this whole like age of unreason is like it's a new thing and it's a weird thing that's been going on the last 10 years and this is such a perfect example of how it's not yeah how that thread has always been there and dalio actually talked about this in principles where it's really easy to trick yourself into thinking a phenomenon is new just because it hasn't happened in your lifetime and none of us have been around to see whatever Ortega you guys say is talking about here. And so we assume that this whole, you know, oh, I don't have to be reasonable. Like reason is a bad thing, yeah. right? My subjectivity is as valid as your reason. Right. And th that's simply not the case. But and then people again, you know, they say, oh, this is a new thing. It's weird that it's happening right now. But, you know, clearly it isn't. It's an older concept. We just haven't seen it as much in our lifetime. So I don't know. I, I thought this was pretty interesting. And that whole combat of reason and unreason and then how that can lead to violence and uprising. It's not a new thing. And then it no. again makes it really salient to some of the stuff we're seeing now where, and I love this with these old books, when you see something socially going on and then it's like, oh my God, the exact same thing is happening right, right now. So it actually makes you less worried about the current time. Yeah. Where you're just bit. like, okay, yeah, we've been through this. We've been through this. Um, there were a couple other quotes on this and, and I think it brings up a really good point that bridges to like later parts of the book. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna just going to read two quotes and then we can talk about them. So uh, restrictions, standards, courtesy, indirect methods, justice, reason. Why were all these invented? Why all these complications created. They're all summed up in the word civilization. Civilization is, before all, the will to live in common. A man is uncivilized, barbarian, in the degree in which he does not take others into account. So I think like that's a point which is kind of related to what you were talking about earlier with like if ants got nuclear weapons right. kind of thing. It's just like all of these kind of things that we have in society, whether it's law or kind of manners or like all these kinds of things are basically meant so we are not killing each other all day yeah. and so we can cooperate. And some of that's actually kind of amazing when you take a step back and look at it, that like the majority does not just kill the minority or completely dominate them in every possible way. Mm -hmm. 
And I think like some of the, you know, I don't want to always bring it back to SJW stuff, but like some of the SJW stuff is like very much like uh, if you don't believe the same things we believe, you are wrong. You're a bad person. You're a bad yeah, person. You're wrong. You're, wrong. you're evil. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's pretty insane. And it doesn't matter if those beliefs are right or not. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the reason. It's just that we are more people like the majority believes this thing. So you need to believe it, too. Yeah. Or on the flip side, tyranny of the minority. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's true, too. Yeah, that can happen as well. Yeah. That you need to seriously respect every belief. Right. right? Which just simply isn't the case. Right. right? Yeah. If somebody believes. Yeah, they have, that's such a good point. Yeah, if somebody yeah. believes they have an imaginary friend sitting right there <laughs> and that the restaurant needs to like bring a chair over for them, <laughs> yeah. the restaurant should be able to say no. No. Right. Like if they want to get an extra tip, they'll probably do it. Right. But they shouldn't be able to like be sued because they didn't believe in this person's imaginary friend, right. right? And I hope that they are not able to be sued for that right now, but it's just absurd that you Curious. should- ask your dad if they could. Yeah, that's could. a good question. Because, okay, so my question would be, how is that then different than like the baking a cake for the gay, like a gay couple thing? Have you seen yeah. that argument? Mm -hmm. Right, it's like, so if I were the business owner, I would definitely bake a cake for the gay couple. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Right. But I could sort of respect the right of somebody who doesn't want to do that. Because what if the flip side happened? Like, what if there was like a Nazi who came in and was like, I want a cake that has Hitler's picture on it. Like, I would want the right to refuse that. Yeah. And as a company that like my company makes custom labeled stuff, if somebody requests something that like I don't <laughs> want to do, yeah. I should be able to say no without getting sued. Well, and that's where I think the key <laughs> distinction was in that case, right. was that there is a difference between refusing someone be able to purchase something already made Okay. Which I don't think you should be able to do. Yeah. And refusing to make something for someone. Custom for somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the latter, it's like, yeah, there's going to be bad consequences of that. Yeah. But I almost feel like that's necessary to yeah. allow people to be incentivized to like build these businesses in the first place. Or just have the individual right to yeah. not do something you don't want to mm -hmm. do if it doesn't conform. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. you're right. There are definitely these edge cases where it's going to be a bad consequence. But like, I would want the right to be able to refuse like a Nazi, <laughs> but I, I mean, depending on how, did it get ruled? I didn't stop following it. I think it, it got ruled. Actually, no, you know, I stopped following it too. I want to say it got ruled that they couldn't refuse service. Okay. I, so, but I wonder the first time that case goes the, the other way. Yeah. Someone comes in with like a belief that maybe the majority would not agree with, but then they, and they get refused mm -hmm. and then they sue. How does that go? Right. So kind of like not something that, you know, now, and this is quite different. Where do you draw the line ago. on it? Yeah. yeah. Like gay marriage is generally accepted. You know, I don't want to say by everybody, but by a lot of people, uh, majority of people for sure and so it's not that controversial to say like okay yeah they should bake the cake for the gay couple but for a belief that's way more you know maybe held by very few people yeah. <laughs> some white supremacist type of thing or you know separatist movement or something something that's like the, the vegan offensive. walks in and wants a cake that says yes. death to all carnivores yeah, exactly. right exactly it's like hmm. genocide against all carnivores yeah. carnivores <laughs> or something yeah uh, yeah, it's just like, where do you draw the line? I'm very curious where that'll happen. And I think it is also, I mean, going back to some of the classical liberal stuff, there are problems that are sometimes better solved by the market, right? Because the more that a cake shop does shit like that, the more bad reviews exactly. they're going to get and the more business they're going to lose. Totally. Right. And, you know, the, I feel like the smart reaction there is be good businesses that come along that are like, sure, we'll bake your cake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever city that happened in, if a cake shop hasn't put up a billboard saying we make the best cakes for gay couples in town. Yeah. Like they should do that right yeah, now exactly. because that's an amazing opportunity, right? Totally. And you get, you know, if the if the gay couple gets all of their friends to just leave a ton of bad reviews on Yelp, that business is, is done, done, yeah. right? Like you, that's the amazing thing about right now too, is that back in the day, these kinds of problems didn't have the that's same crazy. microphone that they have now. But if you do one thing like that and like, okay, this one's obviously probably already kind of screwed over just because they've gotten so much press. But for other 
other cake shops, right? Especially in small towns. Yeah. You get like five people to leave bad reviews and they're done. They're done. Yeah. So that's such a good point. Um, so then he has this chapter. Um, we're going to skip a couple of the other ones that were a little shorter. But he has this chapter that's called the age of the self-satisfied dandy. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I think what he's talking about here is that like we've all been born into this civilization that we did nothing to create. Mm, and yeah. it's pretty amazing that it even exists in the first place. But it's a miracle that we can feed ourselves. Yeah. We or, doing, or that we don't have to feed ourselves. No, or that like we can even feed all the humans that exist. Oh, oh yeah. Right? yeah it's yeah. like we, I think we did the math on just the U.S. Like just say 300 million people and assume 2000 calories on average per day. That's a shitload of calories. <laughs> so much food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's just the US. Right. But I mean, what he's talking about here is that like we were all born into this existence and we kind of haven't done anything to we've we've inherited it. Yeah. So that's kind of our inheritance. And he's saying that, what does he say? He said the aristocrat inherits, and he's calling basically all of us aristocrats in some way, um, inherits. That is to say, he finds attributed to his person conditions of life which he has not created and which therefore are not produced in organic union with his personal and individual existence. So it's just like you have rewards that you haven't necessarily earned. Mm -hmm. And that kind of does create a bit of the self-satisfied dandy type of feel, uh, kind of like exactly what you'd picture of an aristocrat. Yeah. Uh, So we all have a little bit of that in us because we have such a bounty that we've grown up with. Well, and it's like that idea that we've talked about a few times how things that were luxuries become necessities. And in some ways, it's true, right? You can't really be a functioning member of society now if you don't have the internet, for example. Yeah. But there are certain things, right? Like, what's a good example? Uh, you know, having five different knives. Yeah, right. right. You only need one night, right? <laughs> and you can still do pretty well, but it feels like you need more, right? And the more we become accustomed to certain things, the more it feels like, oh, we have to have them. Yeah, uh, so true. actually, Amazon is a great example. Yeah, we don't have to have things delivered in two days. But now that I'm used to it, it's like, wow, it's like, not delivered in two days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I have to wait so long. Yeah, right. <laughs> so true. And that's kind of happening to all of us in all these ways. And on the meta scale, it's this past and future potential of kind of the upward mobility that he's talking about where nobody is you know technically entitled to that upward mobility but any sense that it is going away feels like you're being imprisoned or trapped right and that is where some of this angst can come from right and we see that in america right where people who were traditionally in like or people who are in the middle class hating on indians and asians coming over and taking jobs right because oh those were supposed to be our hours right and like you're you know hurting our economy it's like well no you're not entitled to any of those jobs jobs. you should earn them you should earn them yeah right but if it feels like something should be yours then it becomes and it gets taken away and yeah and then it gets taken away and it feels like you have been imprisoned like i've actually heard um and i don't know if this is anecdotal or actual but uh like i don't know if there's actual good data on this but i've heard that um some of maybe what trump tapped into is that like poor americans are the ones who really have a problem with immigration as opposed to like people in our maybe socioeconomic group right whereas like the immigrants aren't taking our jobs really right so we don't necessarily feel that pain so we're like okay we're okay with immigration like i don't care I'm, i'm totally fine with people coming into the u.s but somebody whose job might be actually getting threatened by an immigrant, you know, I could see why they might have a different opinion than I do. Yeah. Well, that (laughs) where it's like, yeah, you know, the immigrant who kind of like snuck in from Guatemala is going to be willing to work off books for two thirds the price you will for that construction job. And the rich immigrant from India who comes and gets a really high paying tech job and is now living like richly and getting featured. It's like, how come that person gets to have the American dream and I don't? Yeah. So I just 
I really like this one chapter title he has or essay okay. title, which is the barbarism of specialization, which yeah. I think both of us definitely <laughs> agree with. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of like content that we haven't already discussed in there, except that just um, the idea of, you know, being specialized kind of really, you miss a lot of the richness of life. Over-specialized. Over-specialized. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's about, yes, you can't be a total complete generalist. Yes, right? you're totally right about that. Yeah. But the hyper-specialization, which actually was very much like an industrial era consequence, yeah. right? Where, especially with, what's it called? Like product line manufacturing? Mm, uh, assembly. assembly line. Yeah, assembly line. Yep. Where you just did this like very one thing. And a lot of that hyper-specialization has come from that. And now it's really a trap. Yeah. Right? But a lot of us are still in that mindset. Well, and then it becomes really hard to... Um uh, maybe this is more like related to evolution, but it's like when your niche changes, mm. how Ooh, yeah, this is a foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're too specialized yeah. to adapt. You're right? fragile. Yeah. You're fragile. Yeah, there's actually a lot of uh, anti-fragile related things in this. I mean, I even we didn't talk about it, but I had highlighted. Um, there's a whole section where he talks basically about stressors and the value of them. Right. And if you don't have them, like you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Anyway, we totally skipped that part, but I feel, I feel like we talk about that on almost every episode, <laughs> every episode so we'll spare you guys. reference, yeah. Um, another chapter that he had, another chapter title, but um, again, it repeats a lot of things we've already talked about, is that the state can be the greatest danger. Mm-hmm. So I think the title is called The Greatest Danger of the State, and it's essentially, you know, I think that this, he's talking about how the state can be used as like a tool to kind of make people conform in a lot of ways, which, you know, is like Orwellian or, I mean, there's tons of things that you know tons of people who've talked about that effect of the state but it's something to remember and then i do feel like a lot of the time people don't quite know what they're asking when they issue an opinion and i'll like elaborate on what i mean by that so right now especially among people our age there's a real sort of uh there's two sets of beliefs which i think most people have which are directly opposed to each other so on one hand people um let's say people who are more in the liberal camp tend to support like more government regulation, more government oversight of business, like all this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, they're very anti-police. Right. And it's like, how are you going to enforce all of these new regulations that you're talking about? You're going to need police. Right. But then you're like, oh, there's too many police in our cities and like they're overbearing. But it's like, that is a direct consequence of additional state rules. Well, the solution is that everybody else realizes their opinions are wrong Mm. and that they should all want all this regulation yeah. and then we will just have this wonderful little utopia <laughs> where everything works out perfectly that'd be great and then we don't yeah. even need police yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then humans become they're all nice we have rainbows nice. We everyone have, makes uh, the same amount of money but there's still innovation yeah. great <laughs> yeah it sounds like it would work it sounds like it'll work we should not try that experiment though yeah. it didn't go yeah. so well <laughs> I mean, we're getting close to the end here. I mean, he's talking, I think in the last ending sections of the book, he's talking about um, who actually commands yeah. now. And there's, you know, kind of one thing I did want to highlight on there is that he brings up this really good point. This quote is, never has anyone ruled on this earth by basing his rule essentially on any other thing than public opinion. When I first read that, I had a like sort of a rejection of that quote where I was saying like, well, what about dictatorships and what about like autocracies and all these kinds of things? But the point he makes is that those exist with the compliance of the people. Right. Like if you have a dictator and the people who you know are subservient to that dictator and then you have the masses of people, if the masses were not subservient, that dictatorship would be toppled like that, which is what you see happen a lot of times when yeah. dictatorships do get toppled. We're seeing it. I don't know how this will net out by the time the episode comes out, but you're kind of seeing that in Iran these days with uh, there's a lot of unrest going on there. And even though that is a somewhat autocratic country, the autocracy won't last long if, you know, people do rise up. Right. So his point about like, 
public opinion is really what is driving it is a good one. And then he brings up another related point, which is that, uh, okay, so he's talking about even elections, right? He says elections are not always reality. They're not always a direct reflection of the reality of public opinion. And the quote is, if the regime of the elections is successful, if it is in accordance with reality, all goes well. If not, though the rest progresses beautifully, all goes wrong. And and then he says, follows it up with, an electoral system is stupid when it is false. And I think that brought up the point to me of the whole like gerrymandering stuff where people redraw districts. And it's like that stuff might work in the short term, but it's incredibly fragile. Yeah. Like oh, if, it definitely breaks the system in the it, long term. It definitely breaks the system in the long term. And um, yeah, I think it's just like, it's a really good point again of like, for a political system to be healthy, it just needs to be organic and truly reflect the opinions of basically the masses. Uh, masses or they have to, well, I don't think you're ever going to go back to they're not going to have any opinions. Well, yes, yeah, so I actually that. think that, uh, I mean, as I kind of read this section, I think that what he's warning about is democracy. Mm. I yeah, think like that part of his argument democracy. here is that democracy is problematic because a political system will require some public cooperation. But if you allow the masses to influence democracy too much, you end up with President Trump. Uh, yeah. Although there's these, there's the, the great quote by Churchill, which is the democracy is uh, the worst form of government except all the others. Yeah. No, and <laughs> it's that's, like, it that's is fair. It's, it's pretty shitty, but it, it is. is like, I don't know if there's a better, I mean, I would argue my opinion, mm-hmm. and this may be somewhat elitist, but I think representative democracies are actually much better than direct democracies. Yeah. And I actually think we're, the way we used to elect our Senate is better than what it is now. Whereas right now we directly elect our senators mm-hmm. for state legislatures elected their state oh, senators. Okay. So you kind of have a layer in between. And I don't know, I feel like the quality of representatives has gone really, really into shit, partially yeah. because it's much more direct. No, I, I think uh, that idea. Like the House good. was supposed to be direct always because that's the House is supposed to reflect the will of the masses. Yeah. The Senate was always supposed to be this like elite group. It's like the House of Lords and House of Commons in the UK. House of Commons is directly elected and then Lords is sort of this elite group that in theory is supposed to be sort of zoomed out view and not so reflective of the day-to-day view of the people. Yeah. But we kind of lost that with the Senate now. Yeah, that's a good point. And that would be like an interesting, at least first step. Yeah. At least they still have the different term lengths, which helps. Yeah. So six years versus two. The fluctuation. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder like what's the end game though, because it's like, I don't, I don't think we're going to go back to people not having opinions. I know. (laughs) Well, and that's, that's the biggest (laughs) challenge here. (laughs) Like to Churchill's point, right? Democracy is the best worst option for (laughs) a a government in many senses. And then, but Ortega, you guys say is making a good point here, which is that if you allow for everyone to have an influence in government like bad things can happen because the masses should like if the average you know the average person shouldn't probably be president so how much influence should the average person have on like who the president is it's like how everybody hates congress in the aggregate but loves their congressperson oh have you ever seen the stats on that it's like like i think it's like less than 10 percent of people approve of congress Mm -hmm. as a entity like uh, as a whole yeah but then the number of people who support their own congressperson like there's not actually that much turnover in the congress people right every year so it's like i don't know it's like do you really hate like like how's that going to change like how's exactly. the situation going to get any better it's all the other yeah it's all the other that ours is right. fine exactly yeah i don't know yeah it's not a great solution here but like so many of our episodes we end on not any great conclusions of what you should go do about this but it's very interesting to read regardless yeah it is um, i think the one big thing is like be a vital person be like involved in the world try to do projects 
which I don't think is really a problem for our audience, but our audience don't, tends don't to get be sucked into the masses. Yeah. 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 I think that's a big kind of big takeaway from here. I think that's actually a perfect note for us to wrap up on. Yeah. So should we um, mention some of the people who help make this show happen? Yeah. We'll start with Kettle and Fire. Yes. <laughs> makes delicious chicken and beef bone broth. Yep. And they also have a chicken mushroom bone broth that you Ooh, can get at Whole Foods. You can't get it online. Just oh, Whole Foods. It's delicious. That's their best tasting. And one, we don't actually. get paid on that one. So yeah, we don't. But yeah. you can go to Whole Foods, check it out. Or if you want to get some online. And you, you get use, discount. Yeah. 20% off with code THINK. So check that out. Just I think it's kettleandfire.com slash think. Slash think. Yeah, yeah you, get, you there. get the discount. Super good for you. Really healthy. Dogs really like it too. Oh, I cool. actually gave some to Pepper the other night. Eric she was really into Pepper. it. That's good. Yeah. And <laughs> well, we gave some to her two nights ago and she like loved it. And so I sent a photo to uh, the founder and he was like, oh yeah, a bunch of people feed it to their dogs because there's a lot of organ meat and right, stuff that sense. goes into bone broth that dogs don't normally get, especially yeah. on a kibble diet. So uh, yeah, if you have a dog, you might give them some bone broth too. And along with Kettle on Fire, you could also check out Perfect keto which is part of our made you think cocktail here yes we're so, having that at the moment perfect keto probably most known for their exogenous ketone product which you can use to get into ketosis more quickly maintain ketosis helps with weight loss i find it helps with mental clarity a lot of other good things none of these statements have been evaluated by the fda we're not doctors we're not doctors uh but no we really like the products and then we, there's also and we use them and we it's use good them. in the yeah. game so i use so. it every day um there's an mct oil powder that they make if you want some like good medium chain triglycerides we mix it in our coffee and the coffee that we're drinking during the show is the Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. Yep. So if you go to, oh, by the way. Tangent Fuel. Yeah, Tangent Fuel. <laughs> uh, Perfectketo.com slash think. I know the link was broken. We're getting it fixed. Uh, or you just use coupon code think and they'll also give you a 20% discount. And then the third one is Four Sigmatic. They make a mushroom coffee that is delicious. It's probably the one that we consume the most. Yeah. Uh, and we mix the MCT oil in with That's that. That's my morning routine now. I just have mushroom it's coffee. Great, I don't right? really get it. Rather coffee. Yeah, less caffeine than normal coffee. I find the buzz is much more stable. Yeah pleasant but then they also have a few other products they sent me a couple other different ones uh there's a there's the pre-workout there's the kind of pre-workout one the cordyceps which is also really nice if you want a non-caffeine stimulant so i find i can take it at 5 6 p.m before i work out and not like be kept up later which is really yeah, good which is really good especially because you work out in the evening exactly day, yeah so. but they also have these hot cocoa mixes oh, i saw those i haven't tried it yet yeah have you they, tried one oh, yeah i'll give you some are they good um, they're really good oh, yeah okay. so there's there's two of them there's they look good <laughs> yeah there's a hot cocoa with cordyceps so that one's a little stimulating. Yep. By the way, these have basically no sugar. Yeah. So they don't taste like super bitter, but it's like a nice chocolatey bite with yeah, some so of the mushroom like, flavor. It's like uh, cocoa. Like Mexican um, hot chocolate. Yeah. If you've had right. that. Yeah, I've had that. It's kind of like so that. Good. Yeah. So they've got this. You probably use this to make Mexican hot chocolate. Oh, definitely. Right, just throw some cinnamon in there. Mm -hmm. Good to go. Yeah. So yeah, the Cordyceps hot chocolate's really good. And then they also have a Rishi hot chocolate, oh, which is relaxation. like relaxing, you know, great for the evenings before going to sleep. And then they also have a pure Rishi mushroom elixir, which is just like a nice bedtime drink uh and i've really been enjoying that before how does that too. feel like the rishi if you take Sleepy. it at night yeah yeah you just like feel tired relaxed calm you're hanging out it's good if you know you're just trying to chill out read a little bit before bed yep you know reading one of the revolt books to the masses or revolt to the masses which, which you, you should go to amazon and watch well, first you, you go, go to majorthinkpodcast.com slash support click on the amazon link and then buy the book and then buy the book on book. Amazon and yeah. then buy a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Like literally anything buy you can car, think of. Buy a car, photography uh, equipment. Photography equipment. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> buy a boat. Uh, buy all your emergency supplies. All your emergency supplies. The emergency episode. Yep. That's a good one. Which will help protect you in the event of a revolt of the masses. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, it's true. You know, we just had this massive winter storm in yeah. New York. Yep. And, you know, as we were preparing for that storm, I was thinking, you know, I wish I had done more of the prepping yep. that we talked about in the emergency episode. So you did the basic stuff, right? No, yeah, I, I, didn't buy the, I didn't buy the boat, but I bought everything yeah. else. <laughs> no, dude, I still haven't done like the water and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, as that storm was coming, I was that. like, I really need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening to this. Yeah, I have like the canned food and like uh, water, but I should probably re- actually know how often do you place the water like six months. I don't know. I gotta look that up. Check that. I gotta yeah. look that up. Anyway, I have. I got it, but I only got it like two months ago, so it should be okay. It's like should be fine for now. Yeah, yeah. and it's not sitting on the concrete thing that we were that right. Also came yeah, up sitting on a towel or something. But um, yeah, if you're listening, you should definitely go and buy all of your emergency preparedness supplies on Amazon after yeah. clicking through that link. Uh, we get about five seven percent of everything you buy, and it costs you nothing extra. Yeah. So great way to Bezos support. doesn't need the money. Exactly, he's fine. As you think does richest so. man in the world? Yeah, <laughs> we're we're getting there. Yeah. Working on it. <laughs> no, we got a ways to go yeah, until exactly. Bezos. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, those are some easy ways. Uh, you can also go to the Made You Think podcast website and subscribe to our email list. Email list subscribers get bonus content like us goofing off before and after the show. But not, it's not just goofing off. We also talk about some useful things, which... More you know, tangents. Yeah, but they it's just things that don't necessarily fit in with the episode. Usually our episode tangents are related to the book in some way. Yeah. Or at least they branch we off try of to the be. book in some way. <laughs> where sometimes related to the book. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes before we're just talking about like new tools we're using in our own life or... Just kind of like other stuff. Business stuff, life, uh, just whatever interesting things we've been reading or finding from the past week or two that don't make it into the show. Yeah, so so you get some of that. You get access to, uh, we'll be doing some giveaways of some of the books that we do. There is, um, we also actually, this is a a big one that we've gotten a lot of requests for. People want to know what books we're doing ahead of time so that they can, you know, read. And then when they listen to the episode, kind of follow along because it's it's not all new content. So we announce kind of ahead of time what the episodes are going to be. So you can go get the book and then... See, is there anything else in the email that we uh, I think that's about that's it. That's kind of it. We're pretty good. Uh, yeah, if you could also go to iTunes and leave a review, that's super, super helpful for us because it helps us show up on more podcasts as a related podcast <laughs> and uh, will help us get a larger audience. Exactly. So we can keep making these episodes for you guys. Keep giving us your feedback. We love that. We've Twitter. gotten a bunch of feedback by email. Twitter, I'm at the Rail Neil S. And I'm at Natty Lyason. And, and uh, yeah, I think until next I think time. We're good. Until yeah. next time. See ya. Thanks, everyone.